All right, Mark chapter 11 in the Word of God. Mark chapter 11, as you're turning, I'll mention a couple of books that uh, uh, there are in the uh, uh, book table, uh, in that room where they have the book table, a lot of good books back there. And there's a couple that uh, uh, they have several of that I'll mention to you that are just tremendous help. Uh, last night, I think even uh, during the message, maybe uh, Brother Barfield mentioned um, the book by Charles Trumbull called Victory in Christ. How many of you have read this book? Would you raise your hand, please? All right, a number of you have, but a number of you could. Uh, this is a book that deals with the Christ life, uh, the spirit for life, which is the spirit filling you with the life of Jesus Christ. And it's just walking you through it in a way that's just a bottom shelf. It's immensely helpful. Uh, chapter two in this book is called The Life That Wins. It's uh, uh, based on Galatians 2 and verse 20. It's one of the best messages you'll read on that uh, verse. And if you read the chapter and you think, oh, that was nice, read it again. Because <laughs> it's a whole lot more than nice. <laughs> it's life changing. And so uh, that is the chapter that God used to open the eyes of Rosalind Goforth and radically uh, transform her life. She tells that in her autobiography, the book Climbing. Uh, there's a chapter in here called uh, uh, Is the Secret of Victory. It's outstanding dealing with the facts. We uh, talked uh, yesterday morning about the difference between a fact and a promise. Okay, that's what that's going into, the, the is. And then it uh, has a, a chapter at the end of the book called The Perils of the Victorious Life. You know, as long as you walk in the flesh, uh, Satan could care less about you. But you begin to walk in the spirit, and you're now in the spirit realm. And so uh, there are attacks, but we're not ignorant of his devices because we're in Christ who's far above all principality and power. And so that last chapter goes into some things there uh, that can be a help along those lines. I was in a meeting in South Carolina one time and uh, God uh, had moved. It really was a precious time. And there was a fellow there who bought this book. Well, three or four years later, when I came back to that church for a meeting, he said, you know, he said, I now buy that book by the box so that I can give them away. Uh, that kind of help to his life. And then there's the classic by Andrew Murray called Absolute Surrender. Now, Murray's written a number of books. Uh, this is really one of his uh, just, just classics. Uh, very, very helpful. Uh, I hate to say this, but when I was in college, I picked up an Andrew Murray book. I don't know which one. And uh, I remember reading it and thinking to myself, oh, this is terrible. Uh, I remember thinking, you know, Murray is so deep, he's worthless. I didn't realize that I was so shallow <laughs> that I was the worthless one. Uh, but as the Lord began to open my eyes and launch me on a revival journey, uh, Andrew Murray has become one of my favorite authors. Just rich, rich stuff. And what's interesting, when you uh, read his biography and uh, understand his life, as God used him in South Africa, he was a fiery preacher. Uh, and, uh, and yet he learned how to rest in the song that you just sang. That, in other words, you read his books and you don't think fiery uh, because he is so resting in the Lord. But his personality uh, was the fact that he was a fiery preacher. So you have some neat combinations of things there. And you'll find that book, again, very helpful in understanding the access to the Christ life, which is faith, or simply put, absolute surrender. All right, Mark chapter 11 in the Word of God. Mark chapter 11. What an amazing uh, passage we're going to read here in a moment. 
some verses that have intrigued me and blessed me repeatedly and continue to do so. I feel like I'm just, just touching the tip of an iceberg of truth here, uh, that there's so much more. Uh, We need to understand that in Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry has already taken place. So we are now in the last week of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're at the end, as it were, of his training time with the 12 disciples. Uh, Not all the way at the end. You're going to have John 14, 15, and 16, uh, which uh, really are the culmination of it all, but this is in that final week of training. And so we, uh, I want us to uh, understand that and to catch the context of the verses that we're going to actually focus on. Uh, there's, uh, there's something that happens in the narrative that brings out this particular bit of teaching from the Savior. So if you'll uh, begin to read uh, in verse 12, we'll, we'll see what's happening in the narrative. It says, and on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he, that's Jesus, was hungry. It says, Jesus, of course, in his humanity. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not, or not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, that's the fig tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. If you jump to verse 20, we'll pick up what happened here with the fig tree. It says, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. Ah, remember Jesus, what you said about this tree, look at it. It happened. (laughs) Now, here's the Lord Jesus' response, and here's what we're going to focus in on. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. And friends, he's saying this to us. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, not just a fig tree, but this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. Now notice this phrase. He shall have whatsoever he saith, or he says. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Now, it is not my intent this morning to, uh, to walk through the details of this text. We're going to hone in on one particular phrase. Uh, but the verb tenses that the Lord Jesus uses here and the verb voices are just fascinating. Uh, to just uh, keep it real simple, let me reread the text and awkwardly bring out the verb tense and the verb voice. We could read it like this. Keep trusting the faithfulness of God. With assurance I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, allow yourself to be removed and allow yourself to be cast into the sea and then does not allow doubt in his heart but is believing that those things he is saying are being done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you are asking when you are praying, keep believing that you have 
have received them. And you will have them. Amazing contrast of verb tense and so forth in this text. But I want us to focus in primarily on the final phrase of verse 23. He shall have whatever he says. What an amazing statement. The title of this message is the creative word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for these dear ones that have gathered, Lord, in these uh, days to meet, Lord, with you. And Lord, as we come again this hour, Spirit of God, breathe on us. Breathe life. Oh, open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, uh, give us uh, that glimpse of the truth that connects to these amazing words. And Lord, do it in a way that it sinks in. Lord, that uh, we're convinced of what you say. And uh, Lord, uh, may it uh, truly uh, uh, nurture faith in our hearts. Lord, that uh, this would not just be a passing stir, but that you would burn this into the fiber of our beings. Lord, I pray that you would do that deep work that we need. Now, I plead the blood of Jesus once again to protect us from the attack of the enemy that uh, uh, would seek uh, to get us off course. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim again our position in you at the throne far above the enemy. And I claim the victory that you've already won through uh, the shed blood and through the victory shout and through your enthronement far above all principality and powers. Lord, would you manifest that? And Lord, I pray that we would see you for who you are and realize that you said these very words. And Lord, would you say them now to our hearts? Would you personalize it to each one here, from the youngest to the oldest, from the one been saved the longest to the one that's been saved uh, most recently? Lord, I pray, speak. And may we respond with absolute surrender and simple faith. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have now entered a new year, 2014. Perhaps as you consider this dawn of a new year, uh, on the one hand, there's some excitement about it, but on the other hand, perhaps there are some, some, some mountains uh, that you see on the horizon that seem impossible to pass through. Uh, maybe it's an economic difficulty. Uh, maybe it's a strained relationship. Uh, maybe it's some besetting sin that just seems to always get bigger and bigger. Uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, it's some uh, uh, bitterness uh, type of thing. And, and the, these mountains loom up before you. Uh, maybe it's the ineffectiveness, uh, ineffectiveness in service. And it just seems like, oh, these mountains, they're just always there. They're in the way. I can't ever seem to get past them. Well, we have some verses, some words that show us how those mountains can be removed. How we can have whatever we say. Norman Grubb faced this kind of horizon when he followed the footsteps of his father-in-law, C.T. Studd, into the African interior. 
And uh, when he got there and leadership of uh, the group of people, the worldwide evangelistic uh, crusade, WEC International it's called today. At the time they were very small and uh, they were at the brink of World War I and uh, there was all of the economic pressure uh, uh, worldwide that was taking place and here they were. How were they going to go forward? How were they going to expand? I mean World War uh, breaks out and, and here they are. This just you know, They just have one little mission. Uh, they they have one home base. Uh, they have 35 workers. How are they ever going to do anything and go forward with, you know, uh, we're just going to have to wait until the war is over. That would be human thinking. Uh, how are we going to get new recruits and finance anything uh, with all the economic pressure? Uh, they had all these mountains in front of them. But while there, he and the others learned some invaluable lessons of faith. And do you know during those war years and days of economic difficulty, this little group, did not succumb to the mountains of unbelief. Rather, they grabbed a hold of Bible truth and exercised faith and saw mountains removed. And instead of uh, just, you know, saying, well, we'll just have to stick with our one home base and our one field and our 35 workers. No, during those very difficult years when humanly everything was impossible, they trusted the God of the impossible. And by the end of that time period, they had seven home bases and 12 fields and 235 workers. (laughs) And hundreds of people coming to Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something that's glorious. Well, he wrote a book about it. It's a small book. It's entitled Touching the Invisible. It was originally published in 1940. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine was showing me a particular library uh, that uh, is on the campus of Wheaton College in Illinois uh, that has a lot of uh, books, 75,000 volumes on revival and evangelism. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. I go there often now. And uh, he said, hey, John, look at this book here. And he showed me an old copy, a 1940 copy of Touching the Invisible by Norman Grubb. Well, I was aware of the name Grubb because he wrote the book Reese Howells. I think it's back there on your table, uh, Intercessor, the biography of Reese Howells, a a best-selling book. And uh, so uh, I've been blessed by his writing. He wrote the little book called Continuous Revival. I remember reading that during this week in 2001 uh, at Avoca and uh, being blessed by it. And so uh, I began to look at this little book and I thought, ah, there's this, this is good. And so I went over. I said, is there any way I can make a copy of this? I think it's out of print, blah, blah, blah. They said, okay, yeah, you can do that when it's out of print. And so I went over and paid uh, what I needed to, and they let me copy this small book. And I remember the first time I read it through, this is a couple of years ago, I remember thinking, whoa, (laughs) there's something here. I'm not sure quite what it is, but there's something here. You know, did you see enough to know, wow, there's something life-changing here. I I can't fully grab it all yet, but there's something there. And uh, so... uh, I, I, I stayed on it for a little while, then went on to some other books. Well, this last summer, uh, I came across that, uh, this copy, eight and a half by 11 uh, sheet copies of this book again, and, and God stirred me, you know, read it again. <laughs> and so I read it again, I thought, oh, this time I'm getting a whole lot more. And uh, I was being so blessed by certain chapters that I was rereading, and I told my wife, hey, uh, get on the internet, and let's see if we can find an old copy of this, maybe in Great Britain or something, and uh, I want to buy a copy. I want, I want the action, I don't want to just have this five and a half by eight and a half stuff, I I want, I want a copy of this book. It's blessing my heart. So she gets on the internet and orders a, a book. She says, okay, it's in the mail. And when I got it, it was brand new. 
2013 <laughs> publication. They had just reprinted it, uh, CLC Publications had. And so uh, uh, I've just uh, been deeply, deeply blessed by it. And I am indebted uh, to a Grubb in that little book for what we're going to look at in this hour. Now, the lessons of faith that they learned, they learned in a corporate or group faith setting. However, the principles apply individually as well. Uh, And both are vital. And here's what I want us to see as we look at this this morning. Faith banks on the invisible resources of the creator God. You see, faith, it banks on these inexhaustible, invisible resources of the God who can speak into existence. You see, the creator, God. Now, how can you and I come to this faith? I want us to see three lessons of faith this morning. There's many, but let's look at three. First of all, what we'll call the way of God. Now, this is just fascinating to me. The way of God. You see, uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, in the first revelation that we have that's canonized, that uh, has been inscripturated, we obviously have the account of creation. And if uh, we just simply take the time to look at creation and God's method, his process in the matter of creation, it shows us the creative process of the Godhead. In other words, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and all play a significant role uh, in the creation. We're dealing with one God, but we're dealing with three persons. Here's the idea. The Father thought it. (laughs) Ah, the Father thought it. We could call that the will of God. Obviously his wisdom, uh, but it's his will. And so in Genesis 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created. And in that creation, he obviously thought it before anything else happened. Okay, so the father thought it. That's the will of God. Secondly, the son spoke it. That's the word of God. In John 1 verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made, created, by Him. Who? The Word. Okay, so there it is. The Father thought it, but the Son spoke it into existence. It was the Father's will, but it was the Son's Word. And so we begin to see the creative process of God. So if we go uh, to Hebrews chapter 1, it says, God, by his Son, by whom also he made the worlds. Okay, it was the Son that spoke the worlds into existence. And so if we go back to Genesis and that account, when it says, and God said, let there be, and there was, technically, It's Jesus who said. Because he is the one who spoke it. He is the word. So the father thought it. That's the will of God. The son spoke it. That's the word of God. And then thirdly, the spirit did it. (laughs) That's the work of God. For Genesis 1 verse 2 says, And the spirit of God moved. 
Ah, so we see the creative process in the Godhead, how the Father thinks it, that's his will, uh, representing his wisdom, and then the Son speaks it, uh, that's the Word, and the Spirit does it, that's the work of God. Now here's what we've got to grab a hold of. This is God's creative method. The Word of God is creative. You see, all things were made by him. The word. So that the word of God expresses the will of God that is then manifested as the work of God. When God said, let there be light, there was light. Thought by the Father, spoken by the Son, manifested by the Spirit. Now, Let's move to the second lesson, but here's what we've got to grab a hold of. God's method in creation that we just noted is also his method, his process in and through his new creation. That's us. That's what we dealt with Wednesday night. New creatures, the new creation. There's still an unchangeable process. So that brings us to the second lesson. We've seen, first of all, the way of God. Now let's notice the way of faith. (laughs) Grubb gives us a beautiful overview. I'll quote him. He says, the father thinks his thoughts in man. The son speaks his creative word of faith by man. The Spirit manifests the substance through man. Now, let's drop back and uh, peel these layers back. First of all, you have God's will revealed in man. God's thoughts. Remember, that's where it starts. His will revealed in man and therefore to man. In other words, people ask the question, can I know the will of God? Well, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. So yes, you and I can know the will of God. Now, we need divine guidance. What that means is we need God to think his thoughts in us. Who lives in us? The Holy Spirit. God lives in us, okay, and we have the mind of Christ. And Jesus said that he was in the Father and the Father in him, so we have the Father. (laughs) Now, I want us to consider, if we have his mind, he can think his thoughts in us. Ah, that's what we need. We need divine guidance. Ah, you see, in order to exercise faith, it has to start with God. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And uh, we need that divine initiation where the spirit of God convinces us of the words of God, and that we become so convinced we trust them. Okay, faith that is always a response. It is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, which means the willing, the choice of faith is always a response to God's divine initiation. Okay, That divine convincement is the Holy Spirit convincing us of truth, words, truth that we can trust in. You know what that means? 
It means that when we talk about faith and this concept of you can have whatever you say, this is not a name it and claim it mentality. Because this demands that God name it so that you can then claim it. That would be the difference from some who get into excesses where they think that they can just on their own uh, own initiate and name it and claim it. No, God has to first name it through this divine guidance. God's will revealed in man uh, first so that we can then claim it. Now, in this little group of people, this mission, uh, they uh, came to a point where, you know, with all the difficulty and all the mountains in front of them that were in the way, They didn't want to just have a prayer meeting and have wishful thinking and walk away depressed and disillusioned after days because nothing happens. And as God taught them, they came to a point where they wouldn't pray about a specific matter until God showed them his will about it. Unless they were to praying for God to show them his will. That would of course be a part of it. But they didn't, they didn't just ask for this or ask for this or ask for this. No, they wanted God's mind. They wanted God to think his thoughts in their mind so that they knew, hey, this is the will of God. They wanted spirit-guided faith. Okay, so that means we've got to start with God's will revealed in us, to us. Uh, his thinking revealed in our thinking. Okay, that's where it's got to start. But now we've got to go from the will to the word. We've got to go from the Father to the Son. So the second part of the method in the way of faith is Christ's word spoken by us. Christ's word spoken by man. We could call this a joint declaration. In other words, in creation, the Father thought it, the Son spoke it. In the new creation, the Father still thinks it, and the Son still speaks it. But in order for it to occur, we have to cooperate, and He speaks it by us. Why? Because He's in us, and we're in Him. And he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. There's that fusion we talked about. So here it is. What that is is faith. And you know in this whole thing, that's, that's man's only responsibility. <laughs> and I love it. Uh, the one thing God makes us responsible for is to say, God, I can't do it, but you can. <laughs> okay, our responsibility is faith. But faith uh, has some ways that, uh, that it is, that it uh, uh, runs on, uh, some tracks that it runs on, and so we've got to learn those, and they're really actually much more simple sometimes than we think. In other words, to use the wording that we saw, um, I think yesterday morning, from Romans 10 verse 8, it's called the word of faith. Now unfortunately, that phrase has been taken by some and misused. And others are afraid of the phrase. But you know it's a Bible phrase. And as it's used in the Bible we must embrace it. And so that's what we're after here. You see what is it? It's Christ's word. And yet we're in him and he in us. So we must speak it. That's faith. But it really is a joint declaration. Where we declare in the spiritual realm. 
Now, I don't mean physical realm. It's not like you've got to go around and tell everybody, I believe this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. No, it's where God is so smoothed in you, you have that guidance, you know this is God's will, and God has borne witness with your spirit so that you know it, and you say, God, I'm grabbing a hold of that. That's going to happen. Okay, that's the declaration I'm talking about. And it may just be you in your closet talking to God, but there it is, where you declare in the spiritual realm that God's desire that he's made known in us will come to pass. As Grubb puts it, you add the word of faith to the thought of faith. And so what you're doing is, as the Spirit of God uh, moves in you, and there's that divine guidance, then we receive it. We receive the will of God, and thus declare it. There's the word of God, and start praising God for it. There's the work of God that's going to take place. Uh, Another way to say this in uh, former uh, messages that I've preached here is that we take what God's giving. That keeps it real simple. Uh, That's what we're dealing with now. This is where the battle is engaged. Because this is where we have to face the visible versus the invisible. And that's where the battle is. We see the blind eye. And if we're not careful, we shrink back and say, well, there's no way. But what Jesus saw was the will and the power of his Father. And he spoke the word, receive your sight. You see, we see the withered arm. But Christ saw the will and power of his Father and spoke the word, stretch forth thine arm. And the man did and was healed. We see the five loaves and the two fishes and say, well, well, what are they among so many? Whereas Christ saw the will and power of his Father. You see, Christ saw his Father's invisible But unlimited supply and resource and he gave thanks. He spoke. He gave thanks in that assurance of faith. And broke it in that full assurance that his faith was giving substance to the things hoped for. It was the creative word. And that bread was broken and broken and broken. And they fed the 5,000. And there's 12 baskets left over. It's the creative word of God. Now, how do you overcome the visible? (laughs) I mean, because that's what we see, and there's the mountain. I mean, how do you deal with this? Okay, stop focusing on the visible and start focusing on the invisible. That's where it starts. Focus on the invisible God. And realize your union with the great I am. <laughs> you see, we talked last night or two nights ago about this false sense of separation that God's distant from us. Look, that's one of Satan's greatest tactics. To get us to feel that God is distant. Oh yeah, you know, he knows everything, but you know, I'm just a little speck down here. He's, you know, he's he's busy with other things. And we have this very distant feeling 
But I'm going to tell you something. When you allow the Spirit of God to sink the truth into you, that you are fused with Jesus, you are joined to the great I Am. It helps overcome this false sense of separation. You see, we have confidence that we've trusted Him and He saved us. We have confidence that in the future when we die, we're going to go to heaven. But where's our confidence in between? <laughs> and what happens is, is in between, we, we often only have a variable sense of His daily presence. And have an up and down life that's more down than up. But oh, when we allow the Spirit of God to sink in. That the invisible is more real than the visible. (laughs) That we are fused to Jesus. That we're joined. You see, he's the one that's got to speak the word. But we're joined to him. And faith is him demanding that we cooperate and speak it with him that's the joint declaration and so that's how it works we're in an actual union we have his mind we have his will we have his power now here's what it boils down to many times we believe that God can do something through somebody else right (laughs) we believe that God can but very few believe that God will work now notice through them What a difference. What a radical difference. You see, Moses had a tangle with God at the burning bush. He believed God could work through somebody else. (laughs) Not him. And so God patiently worked with him there to bring him to that convinced confidence that he had as his resource the great I am the very words God used. I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent me. (laughs) Oh, yes. Grubb puts it this way. God's almightiness was not the point in question. It was Moses' appropriation and obedience of faith that hung in the balance. Whether or not he was willing to believe that God would work all this Through him. That was the big battle. But when you come to that. Then you can move beyond focusing on the invisible God. And realizing your union with the great I am. To now speaking. In that spiritual realm. The word of faith. Not wishful thinking. You'll fall flat on your face and crash and burn. But where God has revealed his will. uh, Based on his word. His truth. And you now speak it in that joint declaration with Jesus. You see the word of faith. Is the joint declaration with the son. Of the father's will. And it appropriates the resources. Of God. It takes, it receives, it appropriates the resources of God. Uh, John Jr. is now 11 years old. And uh, uh, a lot of things I'm burdened uh, that he catch and and see and so forth. And uh, on the one hand, I want him to know that our Father is our Heavenly Father. And we can go to God and we can ask him for all sorts of things. And he's rich and he's abundant and he has an inexhaustible storehouse uh, that's called our inheritance uh, in him and so forth. And so, uh, you know, I want him to know that he can come and ask for things. And uh, uh, if I believe it's appropriate and helpful and so forth, uh, that I give it to him. So I want him to learn that, to give that picture that that's what God does. On the other hand, uh, that God tells us in his word uh, that if a man 
man doesn't work, he should not eat. So I want him to learn work ethic. I want him to learn that uh, you can earn wages, you can work hard and receive a recompense and so on. So I've also tried to teach him uh, uh, through other venues uh, what it's like when you work and here's what you get. And so I want him to learn both uh, of these concepts. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll do little jobs here and there and I'll pay him this or that, whatever. And then there's other times when uh, I'll just give him something just to show both aspects that we're trying to uh, teach here. Well, uh, this uh, late fall, he was, he, was, he was bemoaning one day. He said, uh, Daddy, uh, you know, I wish there was some job that I could do uh, to, uh, to, to earn some money right now. <laughs> so I kind of tucked that away in the back of my mind. All right, well, well, let's see, what can we come up with that's worthwhile here? And so, uh, uh, you know, we're on the road most of the time, but uh, we finished up the Thanksgiving uh, season and so forth and finally made it back into Michigan where we have a house. And so uh, when we got there, uh, they had already had some snow, but it had melted at that uh, time. And I knew we had a, a window of a few days before the snow was to come again. And in our backyard, there is a large uh, tall, massive, beautiful walnut tree. That's a wonderful tree. It has beautiful uh, uh, aesthetically. It's nice shade in the summertime. But it drops walnuts <laughs> all over the grass. Now the, the backyard is kind of a, a kind of sloped, but not sloped enough for them all to roll into the next guy's property. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know we got to go get them and zing them. And uh, so uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, you know, and sometimes, you know, when it snows, we'll go sledding, and if the walnuts are still there, you boop, you know, it's, oh, man. Uh, it's, uh, uh, for the older ones, it's, it's not fun. So, uh, I thought, well, you know, I can have them pick up the walnuts. Now, I'm not thinking this through very well, uh, as you'll see, and I'm thinking, a uh, dollar walnut, no, 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 I, I don't have enough money for that. Uh, let's see, a uh, quarter of walnut. Uh, you know, there's probably 100 walnuts out here. A uh, quarter of walnut, uh, okay, 25 bucks. Oh, there we go, that, that'll work. <laughs> So I told John, hey, tell you what, you asked the other day that you wish you could, you know, earn some money. Why don't you go out in the backyard, get the bucket out of the garage, and just start picking up the walnuts, and I'll give you a quarter per walnut. Now, I really did not think this through. I should have said, I should have said nickel <laughs> or dime, if you can. <laughs> uh, but I had said quarter, thinking, you know, probably 100 walnuts at the most, you know, 150, you know, whatever. Uh, 200 max, you know, okay, you know, uh, you know, 25 bucks, maybe 30, 35, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. Well, he's no dummy. <laughs> He said, okay. <laughs> Man, he got that bucket and he's out there picking walnuts. Daddy, I crossed 100. I crossed 100. <laughs> and uh, next thing you know, he's crossing 200. Next thing you know, he's crossing 300. <laughs> then, I mean, he was really rejoicing when he got to 400. I mean, I'm already at 100 bucks. <laughs> and I'm thinking, good. Now, what am I? I, know, I, 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 and I? And I'm tempted to say, John, let's make it a dime. I thought, no, I can't change his wages. I'll be like Laban, you know. <laughs> this isn't going to work. I was, I'm stuck. And then I thought, well, maybe this could be a good illustration about appropriation. <laughs> and so it kept going. Do you know what? He picked up 800 walnuts. <laughs> and I was out 200 bucks. <laughs> and I let him know, this is the last time we'll do this. <laughs> All the people in Ann Arbor are asking if they can pick up walnuts in my yard. <laughs> but you know what? He appropriated. He took. <laughs> he wasn't 
it wasn't passive faith, it was active faith. (laughs) But it was dependence on the promise. See, that's what we're dealing with. And our God is not chintzy like me, uh, bemoaning that I didn't think this through enough. (laughs) I mean, God's never said, oh man, I should have only told him, you know, a a nickel per whatever. (laughs) And uh, God wants us to join into his will. In other words, to speak his word, to say, yes, God, I believe you. That will be so. You said it. I take it. And I believe that's what the scripture is saying in Isaiah 45 and verse 11 when God says, concerning the work of my hands, you command me. Why? Because if it's his will, it's really his will commanding him. (laughs) But us joining him. So there you have it. We have the Father's will revealed in us. We have Christ's word spoken by us. So that, thirdly, you have the Spirit's work. Manifested. Where the supernatural comes into play. Where God brings to pass. So that the reality of. Whatever you say. You shall have. Whatever. You say. That word that's not just wishful thinking. But that's the word of faith. There it is. Now that brings up a very important question. And brings us to our third lesson. How can we be sure that it's the Father's will? Because that's the key to this. Otherwise, we're asking a miss. And we get disillusioned and we crash and burn. <laughs> I know all about that. I could teach a whole course on crashing and burning. Uh, but how can we be sure of divine guidance? And that brings us to our third lesson. We've seen the way of God, the way of faith now. The way of coming to faith. Because without the divine guidance, we're unsure. We're unstable. We're just kind of drifting and hoping and, and uh, we're unsure. But I want us to understand that the Bible makes it clear that guidance from God is obtainable. <laughs> First of all, we have the written word. This is our general guide. Beyond that glorious revelation of God's will and his word... As the general guide, we have the Holy Spirit who's moved in. Who is our specific guide based on the general guide. And thus, the Spirit's guidance will always be in harmony with the written word. It will never violate it. Never. It is a deception from the enemy when you think the Spirit of God has led you to do something that is contrary to what the written word reveals. But the truth is, the Spirit of God does guide us in harmony with the Word. Now, you remember what Jesus said in John 14, 10? I love this verse. He says, the words, ramas, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself or from myself, but the Father that dwelleth or abideth in me, He does the works. Now here's the deal. The son knew the father's will through an indwelling voice. Most of the time it was not this outside audible kind of deal. Now in the scripture there's that occasional uh, 
um, rare moment where there's this bright light on the road to Damascus and, and uh, uh, there was a voice that, that Saul heard. Now, not everybody heard it. Uh, for some, they thought it was thunder, which means that it was not in the physical realm, which passes the test of the counterfeits, uh, that, but that it was in the spiritual realm. But my point is, that's not how God spoke to Paul most of the time. Do you realize when we read and Paul says in his epistles where he teaches about all the stuff and he talks more than once about being led of the Spirit? (laughs) Well, that's no different than how it works for us today. (laughs) And uh, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, the internal Spirit to Spirit, Holy Spirit to regenerated Spirit, Holy One, Speaking to this new man that's now righteous and holy. Okay. Well, that means we can. We can have his guidance. Based on the written guide, we have the specific guide uh, of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us. Who bears witness to our spirit. It's not outside audible voices. It's not even the circumference of your being. It's the center of your being. And that's how you can discern between the counterfeits. It's when the spirit speaks to your spirit. And when that happens you don't feel it. You know it. And that's a a whole other truth that we could go into. But it's a marvelous truth. Now. The way of coming to faith. Three thoughts. First of all. Adjust your heart. To God passion. Say, what do you mean? Two questions. Okay, here's, here's a need. And, you know, what can we trust God for? Okay, first question to ask is, is there a passion to glorify God in this? You know, what that question is going after is, what is your motive? Now, obviously, we have a need, and we want the need met. Okay, but is it bigger than that? Is there a passion? Is there this just yearning that God be lifted up? I've told you much about Charlie Kittler who's now with the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. I was around that man many times. And there was a passion in his heart for God to be glorified. And if you started talking about the answers to prayer. And you didn't couch it in a way where God got the glory. He let you have it. I remember one time from his pulpit, you know, I'm being kind and oh, I've learned so much from Brother Kittrell and, and I wasn't counting it just right. And he's there in the back end uh, because his leg had to go up. So he was on this, uh, this, uh, <laughs> this rocking chair in the back of the auditorium. But his head popped up and his leg popped up at the same time his head popped up. And he said, no, no, no. He said, to God be the glory. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but you know, it was a passion. It wasn't just words and mantras. See, if he had somebody in his church who wasn't living right and was repeatedly despising God, love, hate, you just heard about. And it looked like they were getting away with it. He said, God, you've got to vindicate your name. If they're not going to get right with you, you've got to do something so that you're honored. He told me when I was with him in 1999, he said, John, I think there's over these years, at that time point he'd been there uh, maybe uh, uh, 35-ish years, he said, I think there's 16 men who've died early. I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, I hope I make it through the week. <laughs> but his deal was not to lop heads. His deal was like Elijah, God, you said this. And it's not happening. You've got to judge. You've got to withhold the rain so that your people know that you're God so that they turn back to you. See, that's... There's the deal. It's, it's not lopping heads. It's bringing people back to God. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves, do we really care 
that God be vindicated, that God be honored, that God be lifted up, exalted? Is there a passion to glorify God that supersedes all other motivations? You know, we can ask God for that passion. I think he'd be delighted to give it to us. And then there's a second question that really is the proof of whether or not we're on target on the first question. Is there, is there a surrender to whatever God leads? In other words, if we really have a passion that God be lifted up and he leads us and reveals his will differently than what we kind of thought we wanted to play out here, <laughs> will we be glad to ditch our initial idea and embrace God's idea? See, is there a surrender to whatever God leads? You know, here's a young man. He's interested in a young lady. Uh, uh, God, I want you to be glorified. Uh, God, is this one your will? Oh, really? <laughs> Not this one? Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, he changes his whole approach. And okay, well, he didn't really want God's glory. That was all fake on the first question. When there really isn't a, a, a willingness to do whatever God leads. And so that's the whole point here. When we're really, when there's a God passion in the thing, okay, we have to recognize God knows what he's doing. Uh, Here's what I thought was best, but here's how God's leading. Okay, God knows what he's doing. That's far better than whatever I was thinking. It has to be. Okay, and so we adjust. You see, it's adjusting the heart. It's God passion. Uh, Where there's that uh, motivation for God to be glorified, which means as he leads us, if it's a little different than what we initially thought, that's okay. We chuck what we thought and surrender to what God's leading. Why? Because he knows what's best. And so adjust your heart. Mueller puts it this way when you read his deal about how to discern the will of God. He said, first of all, set aside your will. He said, that's the hardest part. And that's what we're talking about. So that there's a passion for God's will. Secondly, inform your mind. Your mind is a great sorting house. Um, You know, in the postal situation, post offices and so forth. You know, all this mail comes in. It's got to be sorted and put on the, you know, the right uh, vehicles to get to the right places. Okay. Your mind is the sorting house. The reason is the place for sorting, but it's not the sorter. It's the place for sorting. The mind, your reason, its function is to investigate To research, to examine, to let the scripture throw light on the situation. To tabulate, to theorize, to memorize, but not to direct. Grubb puts it beautifully when he says, The reason is to be the instrument of guidance, but not the guide. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't bypass our faculties. He works through them. So inform your mind. Get all the facts straight. That's what Mueller said. He said he would would, uh, try to put on paper. Here's all the pros. Here's all the cons. He would inform his mind. And then you get past digesting the heart and forming the mind. And you get to the third part here. Follow the Spirit. You see, the mind is the uh, instrument of guidance, but it's not the guide. So we're to inform it, but refuse to let the mind alone to make the final decision. And now we move from the problem solving and forming the mind and look to the problem solver. We look to the spirit. And that brings us to what we saw yesterday morning. You've got to be still in order to hear the still small voice. And friends, if we don't ever stop and listen, we're greatly hindered. 
Be still and listen. You know, it's like a pool of water that's calm. See, that's when God will speak. When, when the, 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 the pool of the water of your heart is calm. Behind our house, there is a lake called Podunk Lake. <laughs> and uh, it's, it, we're, we, it's not our property, but it, it almost looks like it is. And so there it is uh, in the distance. And I love going out there in the summertime when I'm home. And uh, there's those July mornings when that lake is like glass. And see, that's what we're talking about where, and Murray is beautiful at dealing with this, where the heart is still and you can now listen to God. Uh, because when God speaks, he always speaks in stillness, as Grubb puts it. Now, when we talk about be still, it's not sit back and do nothing. No, you're, you're expecting God to speak, but there's no strain. Uh, there's no attempt to fake it. Um, you know, because... God will speak when he wants to. And so sometimes we have to just be willing to wait. That's fine. Uh, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to have any kind of strain on this thing. But the truth is. We can maintain as God's child. That we have a God given right to know his will. You see we're his servants. A servant must know his orders. It's just a part of the system. Okay, and so we have a right then to say, God, in your perfect timing, in your perfect way, I've got to know what you want here. See, that's faith. You're trusting him, uh, but you're, you're not all worked up about it. There's no strain. You're resting in the Lord to guide you at the right time, but you're expecting him to do it so that it's not passivity. And then, of course, as he begins to bring that conviction to your heart, you trust and obey. You see, the Holy Spirit is the convictor. He's the convincer. And as he begins to convince, he comes and he convinces. It's never this quick push-shove. See, that's the Satan uh, counterfeit. Holy Spirit never drives. He leads. He's the convincer. And so uh, you, you become convinced. You see, that's why I say it's not something you feel. It's something you know. Feelings can go up and down. They can be counterfeited. But when the Spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit, down deep you no. And if you find yourself straining, you're not as convinced as you thought you were. <laughs> and that's why people get in trouble and crash and burn uh, in the name of faith and so on. And so the Holy Spirit speaks. Often he speaks right through these words. Boy, I had some words lift off the page this morning and I needed them. Uh, and uh, there's just all sorts of times where we're in need and we need a word from the Lord. And we, yes, we have the written word, but it's when the Spirit makes it come alive and says, there it is. That's the answer to your need. And that's when you can say, God, I take it. See, that's speaking. That's the joint declaration. I believe you for this. And uh, then the Spirit of God manifests it. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Sometimes, as we noted yesterday, God will speak not only through the word, he'll spook, speak, not spook. Uh, <laughs> that's where the counterfeits, they spook. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit speaks. I have to add that in my notes. <laughs> the Holy Spirit speaks. And when he does, sometimes he speaks through the word. Sometimes he speaks through the providences. And you begin to sense. Mm. Now, providences are down on the list. Because often people put them on the top. And like the one guy that was talking to Brother Barfield. He got it wrong. Uh, uh, but there's kind of just that last bit of confirmation. 
as God moves. And, and sometimes we misinterpret the providence thing because sometimes we think, well, when God's in it, then everything is hunky-dory and that's just how it all works. No, my father used to say, no, when the spirit leads, often uh, it's going to look t- terrible. And this is, what, this is why God's in it. He's going to show you that he can overcome what looks terrible. And so uh, we can't misinterpret those things. But uh, the spirit of God nonetheless directs our spirit through an informed mind with a settled conviction. It's called peace. That we're to allow to rule. The idea is to referee. You see a referee. He blows the whistle. Because you went out of bounds. Okay. And the spirit of God. He blows the whistle. No, 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 no. You're, You're off course there. Over here. And he referees in our heart. And when he brings you to that settled peace. So that you come to a deliberate judgment. And peace rules. Then you know it's him. Now, here's how they learned it in interior Africa pre-1940. And that original group, he said there were about 25 to 40 of them that would meet every morning. And he said the objective of that meeting was not a prayer meeting uh, per se. Uh, initially, it was not a, uh, a Bible reading or a Bible study of uh, some doctrine. It was a practical meeting of tackling the immediate problems at hand, but with the will and power of God. And in that sense, it would become the prayer meeting uh, at some point. He said maybe they needed a certain number of new recruits for a particular field. Or maybe it was the finances that that, some new recruits that were coming in needed. Maybe it was the granting of a government permit to open up a new area of service and work. Maybe there was a tribe that over here was just resisting the gospel. It was unyielded. Well, there's, a, there's warfare here. We've got to hone in on this. Uh, maybe it was a difficulty between workers. Ah, they were like us. <laughs> See, very practical matters. So this is not this one big event that happens once a lifetime. No, this is daily stuff. And so they would talk about it. It would be outlined. It would be discussed. Opinions were invited. Even criticisms in the right sense. And gradually, the Spirit of God would bring them as a group, in this case it was corporate, to a settled conviction. That, that, that would gain ground. And they'd get past the wishful thinking stuff. And the Spirit of God would lead and guide as they were informing the mind and looking to the Spirit of God to, to, to truly lead them. And uh, sometimes that would take some time. Sometimes it would come more quickly. But nonetheless... They would gradually come to a conviction that such and such an outcome would glorify God. A certain sum of money by a certain date. A move of the spirit that would break down uh, uh, the defiance of a particular area. The granting of that government permit. The reconciliation. And then they would double check with the scriptures. Is this in line with what the written word says? Uh, what happened with David? What happened with Daniel? What happened with Moses? Were they sure? Uh, did they believe? Uh, did, they, did they speak that word and have whatever they said? Can we do the same? Are we on the, the right ground here? And once they were sure of it, then they declared, God has shown us his will. This will be Done. It's just like Jesus saying, you're well. We've got it, God. You've revealed it. We'll be done. And then uh, they would trust the Lord for that and maintain that. And if there was still a delay of time, they would stay on that position. God, thank you. You have given us this. We're expecting you now to manifest it. And you know what they had over uh, month after month after month? Remarkable 
deliverances. They saw mountains removed and cast into the sea. They had whatever they set. May we learn these really just uh, uh, this, this simple truth that faith banks on the invisible resources of the creator God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, I thank you for words such as these words in Mark 11. And Lord, we thank you for the simplicity that the Father thought it and the Son spoke it and then the Spirit did it. And I pray that we would gladly cooperate in our union with Jesus. That part of the process of speaking what the Father has revealed. That we might have what we say. And that you might be glorified in it. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.